0: The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs... We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic. To the lows. You're fire! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers podcast. Now, here's your host, Stephen Strom. All right, welcome in here. Sports Talkers podcast, Stephen Strom. He was recently inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's an ESPN baseball senior writer. Baseball Tonight, an analyst on Sunday Night Baseball. It's Tim Kirchin. What is spot with him? We talk about the ups and downs of his career, school, getting laid off, ups and downs, everything in between, really fun and um just a genuine guy, man. you you got to cheer for Tim Kirchin Such a cool moment for him getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame. We talk a little bit about his uh, love for baseball at a young age, the relationship with his father, and how he's able to recall all of these dates and stats and pitchers and catchers and everything in between. And then we uh, reveal his Mount Rushmore of baseball play-by-play broadcasters. So without further ado, let's bring him on. ESPN's Tim Kirchhen. I first want to start here with almost a love triangle of baseball, you growing up and, and the relationship with your father. How did those three intertwine and impact what you did in your career?
1: Well, my father is the biggest reason by far that I do what I do. The baseball was the primary language spoken in my house growing up. My dad was a really good player He had a great feel for the game. And he gave that feel for the game to his three sons. He taught us how to play. He taught us how to love the game. And this is, you know, my dad was a PhD in mathematics from undergrad at MIT. He had other things to do with his life, but all (laughs) the things he did was with practical application to baseball. And I can't even begin to tell you, as a mathematician, how many times he would sit down with me and my two brothers and show us the baseball encyclopedia and go through statistics, statistics that I still use today. And I grew up to stories of Lefty Grove and Jimmy Fox and Ted Williams because my dad grew up in Watertown, Mass. So my love of the history of the game comes exclusively from my father, who taught me how to look up things, how to find things. And mostly he gave me such a great feel for the game.
0: So I remember my first game and it's just, I guess we'll go with the father son connection with baseball. My first he's from Minnesota. I grew up in New York. I remember my first game being Yankees twins. Unfortunately we had to relive the same nightmare as he took me year after year. But what is it about uh, a father and son in baseball that just has this connection with, with other people as well?
1: Yeah, it's, it's what warms my heart more than anything is the father-son can, and the father-daughter connection because I'm very close with my daughter. The first game she ever went to, I taught her how to keep score and she keeps score of every game she goes to after all these years. She's 31 years old now. <laughs> um, I, I, nothing nothing makes me happier than to go to a major league game and see a dad with his children or parents with their children yep. at, at a game. It's so important and I ask all parents, kids, like, where did you learn the game? From whom did you learn the game? And it's always, well, my dad or my grandmother or my grandfather taught me how to keep score. And it started there. It's it's just such a deep relationship between families and the game. Mm -hmm. I want to say 10 years ago, I went to Cooperstown. I've been to Cooperstown a million times for inductions. But there was a preacher from Alabama with his wife and three children. And they had just finished a tour of all 30 ballparks In 30 days. And they finished this trip in Cooperstown for an induction ceremony. And I thought this is this is like the coolest thing ever. (laughs) And the preacher says nothing was better than this trip because we did it together. Baseball was involved. It made our our family even closer because of the time we spent together and the things we did together and baseball was right in the middle of it. Stephen, I'm sure there are trips like this in basketball and football, but I just think there are more of them in baseball, which is another reason why I love the sport
0: so much. Was it always journalism for you? What did you want to do? I know you wanted to be a part of baseball. What was the original and when was the first time you were like, I want to start to do this as a career?
1: Well, I wanted to be a player like every other kid, but when I graduated from high school at 5'2 and about 150 (laughs) pounds, I knew my baseball and basketball careers were over after high school, Uh, so I had written for the school paper, and as you know, I went to Walter Johnson High School in Bethesda, Maryland, named Mm -hmm. after... The greatest pitcher ever. I worked for the school paper. It was called the pitch. Uh, I worked for the yearbook. It was called the windup. Uh, so I, it was then that I decided, all right, if I'm going to make a career in baseball and I can't play it anymore because I'm not good enough and I'm too small anyway. Not too small, not good enough, period. It's open to all shapes and sizes. I said, all right, maybe I can learn how to write. And believe me, I had to learn how to write because I was a terrible writer in high school. After one especially bad story, one of my gym teachers said, Tim, that might be the worst story I've ever read (laughs) in the school paper. I hope you're not planning on making this your What do you remember of that story? What was that story about? It 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 was a preview of the varsity football team. Team and I got names wrong. I was, it was awful. I read it again and I didn't need, I didn't need anybody like yelling at me to tell me when I looked at this, I said, this is terrible. I got to get better at this. So like anything else, if you want to be a great free throw shooter, you got to shoot a lot of free throws. If You want to be a good shortstop. You got to take a lot of ground balls. If you want to learn to write, you got to write and write and write. So that day I just said, all right, I got to get better at this. And eventually, eventually I got better at writing. And that's how I said, all right, this is my best shot at making a career out of this i got to learn how to write first
0: when did it start to click for you i guess from a writing standpoint where you felt like was it accomplishments was it just your pure writing when did you kind of feel like all right i i think i've got something here was it post graduation was it at, where when did that happen
1: yeah it was when i went to the washington star newspaper great yep. daily newspaper right out of college and the key was and this is important i think for all young people i watched the way the great writers wrote. I watched the way they reported. Dan Shaughnessy was our baseball writer. He's a Hall of Famer. And I watched him work. I watched him report. I watched him do everything. I followed him around like a little puppy. And I would like go home after a game that I would go with him to and he would be writing and I didn't. And I would go home and write the same story. And then I would compare my story to his story. And (laughs) his was way better than mine. But that's when I started to understand, like, this is what it takes. To be a writer,
0: this is what you have to learn. And what were some of those things? What were some of those things well, you, you took gotta, from
1: them? You got to learn to write quickly. You got to learn to write on deadline. You got to learn to be concise and efficient in what you're doing. But you, you got to learn to be a reporter first. You got to go look and find the story where maybe others didn't. You have to show up at the ballpark every day and be curious. W- what happened there? What? Why did they bunt in the fourth inning? Why is the you know the right fielder not playing today? And that curiosity is something that has carried me. That and the love of the game. Because once you show up and start asking questions, that's when you know you, you're on to something. And don't be afraid and I was at the beginning, don't be afraid to go ask the manager or the pitching coach or the star player, tell me what happened on that play. At least it shows that you were watching the game. I'm not sure we're watching the games enough anymore. We're watching our phones and our computers. The games are all that really matter. So that that's when I first started to figure things in the late 70s, early
0: 80s that maybe I can do this, but man, have I got a lot to learn. When Did, did you always have the Baseball encyclopedia knowledge because people always talk about how you can go back. It was that always there, or when did that really develop for you? Well, <laughs> yeah,
1: that was always kind of with me. I mean, that was when always I with you. Started, okay. uh, when I first started covering baseball, I really believed that I understood. What I was watching on the field. In other words, when I saw, you know, Robin Yount make a play in the hole or Cal Ripken go to his left or, you know, uh, somebody hit a home run, Reggie Jackson hit a long home run, I like to think I understood what I was watching. And I had a really good history of the game because my father taught it to me. And I was one of those dorky kids when I wasn't playing, my head was buried in the baseball encyclopedia, or I was sitting in my room alone on a Saturday night in high school playing the APBA or Stratomatic Tabletop Baseball Games. And that's where the the statistical end of it came to me. And then the key was then I had to learn how to write. So I think I kind of did it in reverse. Some of my dear friends were great writers who had to learn how what the game was all about. I felt like with that I understood how the game was played. Now I have to learn how to write. And uh, it served me well writing as much as I could because it certainly finally made me better.
0: Tim Kirch with us. We're going through his journey and then we're going to ask him some broadcast advice questions. Um, So I, I was reading that when you were at the Washington star, it ended up going under it folded. What were the steps after that? What was going through your mind? Take us through that point because we all oh, we always we see Tim Kirch in the Hall of Famer, but sometimes we think it's a smooth ride. Talk a little bit about what happened after the Washington star went under.
1: Well, I worked at the Star for two and a half years to try to become a staff writer as opposed to a freelancer who just showed up every day and they paid me separately and I worked for the paper. But once you become a staff writer, that's like getting on the 40 man roster or the 25 man roster. I finally made the 40 man. And uh, six months later, the, the newspaper folded while I was there. This was the most devastating news ever because I was a local guy. I had planned on spending my whole life at the washington star covering baseball and other sports and suddenly it was gone so i didn't know what to do so we all looked for jobs and i got a job immediately at the baltimore news american how old were you at that time and i was 24 years old at the time and i'd lost two jobs i'd lost one job already i went to the to the um I went to Baltimore at the News American. I was working baseball as a backup, and I was going to cover Maryland basketball. And I'm thinking, this is a great job. I love basketball also. And after two months, that paper laid off 44 people. I was the first guy to get laid off because I was the last guy to get hired. So I was 24 years old, and I lost two jobs in two months through no fault of my own. So I... (laughs) The L.A., this is in the middle of the newspaper business like falling apart. I got a call from the L.A. Times because someone had noticed that I was one of the unfortunate people that lost two jobs in two months. So I got interviewed by the L.A. Times. What is this like? And I I said something galactically stupid, like if I go to a third paper and it folds, I'm going to have to go join the circus or something. (laughs) And that ended up on the front page of the LA Times. But the long story is I went to the Dallas Morning News right after they took me about a month to get another job. My boss from the Washington Star had moved to Dallas before the Star folded. So he hired me at the Dallas Morning News and that's where I really began to understand completely what the newspaper business was all about. So I owe Dave Smith, my sports editor, everything for not hiring me once, but
0: twice broadcaster or journalist, you know, we hear a lot about networking, networking, networking. What are some of the other things that we can do? I'm 24. You know, this is why I love this podcast, because I'm, I'm learning every time I'm talking to a guest. Yeah, I'm with the heat, but I'm still constantly growing. What are some of the things that we can continue to do, journalist or broadcaster, to continue to grow?
1: Well, again, you you have to show up and try every day. And you have to be prepared when you get there. You have to be curious, as I told you, that you have to watch the games. Because believe me, whether you're doing baseball, basketball, football, when you go to a player and you tell him, explain to me why you guys bunted in the sixth inning there, he will be impressed that you actually watched the game. That is really, really important. But mostly for any young person. And I've kind of talked about this already. But keep your eyes and your ears open, okay? listen to the best broadcasters and listen to the way they call a game watch a beat writer and watch the way he does his job now you don't want to be just like him because as vin scully once said the only thing that separates from you from everyone else is you so you have to use your own personality in what you're doing but you can sure learn a lot take bits and pieces Absolutely. You can learn so much watching other people. And this is very important. You have to learn how to ask a question properly. And it is still the hardest part of my job. And I am 65 years old and I've been asking questions for 42 years. But there is an art to asking a question. I took a course at ESPN for three days when I was 50 years old to try to learn how to ask a question. And I'm thinking, I should be teaching this course. I've been asking <laughs> questions for so long. And yet I learned so much Explain. about the proper way to ask a question. It has to be neutral. It has to be open-ended. It can't be a yes or no. You, There is a proper way to ask ask a question. So I I implore you, Stephen, and all young people, make sure when you go ask a question, whether it's on live TV, on the radio, or just standing at somebody's locker, that you have this prepared in advance in order to get the best answer you can possibly get. When you ask a yes or no question, someone might just say yes or no. And now, now you're stuck. Yep. So ask it another way, leave it open so he can take it in any direction he likes. Asking a question is still the hardest thing I have to do. And everyone should be practicing that every day.
0: couple more left here with Tim Kirchin. Uh, this is another question I get um, for again, younger people in the business, whether it's with a team or, or whatever it may be when you're in that locker room, you want to come off as professional being that young, but you also don't want to overdo it and overkill with stats. What's the middle ground in that where you're asking a coach like Eric Spolster or whoever it may be uh, a question where you want him to know, Hey, I'm young, but I know my stuff, but I also don't want to be to the point where it feels like I'm forcing it.
1: Right. You you certainly don't want to be arrogant about anything. You don't want to look like some smart ass young kid that is going to, you know, trying to impress the coach. If you just ask the question properly, you have a chance. If you show that you watch the game, you have a chance and you can be naive about things. You can say, I think in the third quarter tonight, Jimmy Butler's defense on Steph Curry was the main was the key point of this game. Did I see that correctly? You can point out something instead of saying, "Hey, this was the key part of the game." <laughs> Even if you're you're sure you're right, you go to an expert like the coach of the heat and say Did I see this correctly? He might say you're completely wrong, but he might say, yes, you saw that correctly. It's very important to not come across as as a know-it-all, especially as a young person, but it's also very important to make sure whoever you're talking to recognizes that you have prepared for this. If they recognize you have no idea what you're talking about, Mm. and believe me, this happened to me, it's happened to everyone along the way, they will look at you and say, you have no idea what you're talking about about and when you're built like me five foot five and 140 pounds the littlest guy in the room and when I started on the beat I looked like I was 14 you better have an idea what you're talking about because everyone is going to look at you like why would I even ask answer this question from you how could you possibly know anything about this that's why it's so important to make sure you're prepared and you
0: know what you're talking about. Great insight here with Tim Kirch. And how did you what was the transition like from journalist to then being on camera? Well, that was
1: really difficult. I I had to spend a fortune on clothes because I'm sitting next to Harold Reynolds and he's wearing a two thousand dollar suit on baseball (laughs) tonight. And I'm wearing something from the heck company, which has been closed for like 30 years. Um, I wore more makeup than my wife, that was an adjustment, and I spent a lot of time walking around in a circle, talking to myself, knowing TV was coming up. So those were the biggest adjustments for me. But I must say that my beat writing experience, my newspaper experience prepared me to do television. Mm. Beat writing and newspaper work showed me where the story was and how to get it. It taught me to write quickly. It taught me to write on deadline. It taught me to be efficient with my words. TV was a completely different animal, but at least I understood the game and I understood what a story was. Now I have to take a 20 inch game story that I would write for the Baltimore Sun and condense it into a one minute TV story because there's <laughs> TV doesn't have any time, you yep. gotta go. I remember when I did my first TV piece It was, I'd never done one before and I've never done TV before and it was on Brady Anderson of the Orioles. And I wrote it and I gave it to my producer and he said, Tim, this is really good, but this is nine minutes long. You (laughs) you have to do this. You have a minute and a half for this. So I had to trim seven and a half minutes out of the first TV story I did. But I repeat, my beat writing newspaper experience taught me how to do so many things on television and radio, but I did have to get more comfortable. Comfortable on TV. And again,
0: when you look like me, that that took a little time. (laughs) Uh, Tim Kirchner with us. We're going to do two quick ones. We really appreciate the time. This has been awesome. Uh, Can you give us some of the traits that you see in the most successful broadcasters that you can share with the audience that we can try to work on? Right. Well, the number
1: one thing you have to be beyond prepared and, all, and curious, as I've already said, is you have to be ready to think on your feet. OK, you can go into a game saying. Well, Jacob deGrom's pitching tonight, and and he's pitching against Max Scherzer a couple years ago. So I've got the best pitching matchup in the world on my hands, and that's how I'm going to present this game. And before you know it, deGrom's out after an inning and a half, and, and Max Scherzer lasts two innings. I'm making all this up, of course, but you have to be ready to talk off the top of your head. You can have every statistic prepared. You can have everything ready to go. And then suddenly the story completely changes. And now you have to be ready to go. Like when I did Baseball Tonight all those years, I've done it for 25 years, we would go on the air to do a one hour show and I would have all my notes prepared. And suddenly Hideo Nomo completes a no-hitter during the time that we're on the air. So now I have to be ready to talk about a no-hitter thrown, the second one by Hideo Nomo. So I have to put this into perspective with no time to look up anything. That's the key. You have to be prepared. Almost for the Improv. Unex- Of course, it's exactly what it is. And you look at the really great broadcasters and the really great guys on TV and the great reporters, something switches and they're able to switch their thinking and their mindset like that. You have to be able to think quickly and think off the top of your head.
0: Very good. Uh, I've been looking forward to this answer in particular. I texted you today because I didn't want to throw you on the spot. I wanted to give you some time on this one. Give us your Mount Rushmore of baseball play-by-play broadcasters.
1: Wow, that's really hard. Um, Vin Scully's number one. He did it for 67 years. His use of the language was absolutely breathtaking, especially for a writer like me. He's the greatest storyteller I've ever heard. And all the other broadcasters used to be jealous of Vin when he would start a story that, that batter would never ground out to the shortstop on the first pitch, okay? The game always allowed Vin to complete his story. I, you know, I was tuned in one night and um, Socrates Brito of the Diamondbacks came to the plate and Vin starts the story about the real Socrates, the Greek philosopher. And I'm thinking, <laughs> where is he going with this? Well, of course the at bat takes four minutes and we learn everything we need to know about Socrates Weaved into an at-bat by Socrates Brito. That was the ultimate brilliance of Vin Scully. He had a sense of place and time better than anyone. And his words were just absolutely mm. golden. Um, Harry Carey, I think, has to be number two just because he did it so long. He entertained us for so long. Um, Famously, he said <laughs> when he was doing White Sox games, he said – um. And after Bill Melton grounds into a double play here, we'll go <laughs> to a commercial, and then Bill Melton grounded into a double play, and Harry Carey basically said something like, six to four to three, we'll be right back. Oh. Harry Carey, there was nobody like him. Jack Buck, of course, is one of the great broadcasters of all time. When I was in college, I used to take my Datsun B210 on Saturday nights and drive to a certain parking spot on campus because from my car radio, I could listen to Jack Buck do Cardinal games on KMOX. And his voice was absolutely the greatest. And I just love to listen to him tell stories on the air. He is also the greatest after-dinner speaker in the history of after-dinner speakers. So he, he has to be on there. And I have to have listened to the guy in order to put him in my Mount Rushmore, meaning I didn't know Mel Barber. So I don't think I could put him at the top, even though he probably belongs. But I did listen to Ernie Harwell for many years. Mm -hmm. I worked not on the same team, but I met him so many times. He had such a folksy, calm humor to him that it just made you love the game with the way that he loved the game. So he did the Tigers for all those years. So. I asked him when Tiger Stadium closed, I said, Ernie, what are you going to take away as memorabilia from Tiger Stadium? And he looked at me and he goes, I'm gonna take the urinal from the visiting clubhouse. I said, what, why would anyone want that? And he said, well, it's very personal and every great player in the history of the American League has used it. He Uh said, I'm gonna get it all cleaned up and turn it into a planter for my wife. And that's precisely (laughs) what he did. That's why we all loved Ernie Harwell.
0: All right, Tim Kurtz and everyone, thanks everyone for listening. Rate, subscribe, review, at BSM staff on Twitter, at S-S-T-R-O-M underscore on Twitter. I really appreciate all the support. Make sure to visit BarrettSportsMedia.com. We'll talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Talkers podcast with Stephen Strong. A reminder that each episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. To stay up to date on future episodes, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.